This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Let's face it. People have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Bed, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements, so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so what makes a life a good one In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Guadalajara. Taking your calls at 888-887-3837. That's 888-88-PETER. If you can't get through on the phones, you know the drill. You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com with your name, phone number, question, or problem. We will solve it right here on the air. Uh, If you are just joining us, We've been flying around Mexico. Why? Well, we've been flying within Mexico on sort of a secret airport jaunt. Uh, and it's a secret airport that actually starts in, in California, but not for long. It sneaks into Tijuana. Next thing you know, you're flying from Tijuana. And if you need to go from A to B to C, a lot of smart travelers have figured that secret out. 
a lot more are going to be learning about it. We just did it ourselves. It's called CBX. And joining me now is the Chief Commercial Officer of CBX, uh, Ellen Brown. Elizabeth Brown, excuse me. Elizabeth, I grew up in New York. But I've been in California since I'm 21 years old. There's always Lindbergh Field. Always Lindbergh Field. And it was a great airport, still is, but it's limited. Uh, it's constrained. It's got noise issues. It's got the steepest approach of any airport in America. And if you're sitting on the left side of the, of the plane when you land in, you actually see what people are doing in their hotel rooms as you're coming in over, this, uh, over the park. How, and then for years, people were talking about, well, we need an alternate airport. We'll, do to, we'll go to Brownfield, right, which is near Tijuana. And that didn't happen. And all of a sudden, here comes CBX. What is CBX? Well, really, we're an airport terminal that's in Southern California, in San Diego, and we're connected by a 390-foot pedestrian bridge to the Tijuana International Airport. We're the only terminal that sits on the U.S. border that's connected to a major international airport in another country. So basically what that means is you check in in California and you walk across the bridge and you fly out of, out of Mexico. That's exactly right. You, if you know Southern California, you know that people, more than 30 million people a year, cross the border. And flying in and out of Tijuana Airport, 74% of them are crossing the border. So we've simply built a facility to help that and it's it's not a long walk it's a less than five minutes it's easy and before you know it you're right in mexico you go right into the airport you drop off your bags and continue on to your aircraft and fly to anywhere you want to in mexico and no lines and no lines we're very proud of the customer service that we deliver here and also that we're helping people to get to their flights in tijuana so there's very few lines over there as well I mean, what kind of volume are you talking about? Well, at CBX, we expect to see about 1.4 million passengers use CBX this year. We and you're open, brand new, really. We're brand new. We're just celebrating our first anniversary on this Friday, December 9th. So about 1.4 million this year, and there's about 6 million passengers a year that are flying in and out of Tijuana. So we're growing. We're changing the way people are crossing the border. We're making it easier for them and faster for them. We've got parking here for them, and then they continue right across. I mean, when you think about border crossings in California with Mexico, there's the San Ysidro crossing, right? There's Otay, mm -hmm. right? And then there's this. Exactly. And this one is only for flying passengers, though. So really what we've done is we've taken those people that are flying that would normally cross through the land crossings, and we're putting them through cross-border express. So you must be a ticketed passenger, but you can cross 24 hours in advance and spend some time in Tijuana, if you wish, and then continue on to your destination in Mexico. As long as you have a boarding pass and a CBX ticket. 24-7, just like the Tijuana Airport is as well. Although your airport has two different surge times, right? Early, early morning and late, late at night. We do. We actually have a lot of red-eye flights that are coming in from places like Mexico City and Guadalajara that arrive early in the morning. And so we see a lot of arriving passengers that are coming into Southern California, spending their money here, going to attractions, going shopping and visiting family and relatives and doing business. And they come back the same day, exactly. We also have a lot of business travelers that are doing that as well. So they arrive first thing in the morning, do a day of business in California, and then go back. And then likewise, we have people originating out of California that are going into Mexico. Maybe they go to Mexico City for a day of business. Maybe they're visiting family. Well, you know, every airport has their capacity problems, right? I mean, there are slot-controlled airports. You can't get a gate. You can't get a jetway, right? You can't get a landing slot. Not a problem here. Well, the Tijuana International Airport has lots of room to grow. They have a, a long runway service of 10,000 feet. They have 12 gates, so they have lots of capacity to continue growing their, serv their services. They have about 6 million passengers a year with uh, a number of airlines that are serving them, but lots of room to grow. I mean, when I thought, you know, oh, no, Tijuana Airport, I was thinking of a, a little twin-engine propeller plane with Captain Skippy going, eh, 
you got a 787 coming in. We've got 787 three times a week that's flying into Shanghai, China, that flies out of Tijuana International Airport. And that's Aeromexico. That's Aeromexico. But your, your big daddy here is Volaris. Volaris is by far the biggest airline. They have a significant market share, and they fly to more destinations in Mexico than any other airline. I mean, the secret for me, not being Mexican and not having point-to-point business in Mexico, is that I don't mind crossing the border and flying out of Tijuana I can use that route network and go just about anywhere I want. Exactly. And not only that, but you have the opportunity to connect to other destinations. So people can fly into Mexico City and Guadalajara and connect into other destinations in South America if they wish. So there's a lot of opportunity that's really opened up for people out of Southern California. And the catchment area of the Tijuana Airport has functionally doubled because they now really have two countries. But no U.S. airlines coming in? Not yet. I mean, what's the incentive for them to try to come in? Well, uh, they would be purely speculation. I think that there could be some uh, American airlines that might fly into Tijuana under the Open Skies Agreement with Mexico that might be looking at secondary cities in eastern United States. Other than that, I don't know that somebody would want to cross into Mexico then to turn around to get onto a flight to go to the United States. No, that but wouldn't there, make sense. It right? wouldn't make sense. But there could be some secondary destinations that could be served out of Tijuana into the United States that may not be easily served out of San Diego. I mean, right now we have a new service, for example, Hainan Airlines going from China to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at those kind of secondary airports as well. You have Aeromexico coming from Shanghai right here to, to, to the airport in Tijuana. Who are you looking out for? I mean, Southwest Airlines maybe? Well, I'm actually not part of the air service development. We uh, leave that in the hands, the capable hands of the management team over at the Tijuana airport. They are looking actively at talking to South American airlines. They're also talking to some Asian airlines. And we hope to see increase of services in the future. But the bottom line is you've got the space for them. They've got the space for it. And actually the Tijuana airport's also expanding their terminal building to make sure they have the seating forward inside the building. As you know, wide-body aircraft require a lot of people to be able to sit in, in benches, so they're actually expanding that airport terminal by 25%. What about fair competition? Fair competition in... I mean, are you matching the fares in, in the U.S.? Mm. Well, I've, as you know, as CBX management, we don't set the fares. But that. we know that the Tijuana Airport is, is a very... It, absolutely. And you know the Tijuana Airport is a very favorable airport to land in and out of. The landing fees are much cheaper than, than other U.S. airports because it's functionally a domestic airport. So the airfares are passed on to the passengers, and the airfares tend to be significantly less out of Tijuana. Total. We're not in Kansas anymore. Joining me now is, uh, let me just explain how he got here and how I got here. Um, I started this journey to Guadalajara by flying to San Diego, by then driving to the border, crossing a 400-foot-long bridge into Mexico, and found myself smack dab in the middle of the Tijuana airport, got on a Volaris plane, and two and a half hours later, I was in Guadalajara. Uh, It's an amazing story of how an airline and a local uh, community uh, and a model to be followed everywhere else is literally bridging a gap, uh, providing an opportunity for people to go from A to B to C and D from an airport that most people either never thought of, never heard of, or would never choose with more connectivity than just about any other airport in Mexico. And it's also become uh, the fastest growing, if not pretty soon to be the largest airline in all of Mexico. It's called Volaris. And joining me now, the CEO of Volaris, uh, Enrique Beltrera. How are you? 
I'm doing fine, Peter. Thanks for being here in Guadalajara. Thanks for flying Volaris. And thanks for the amazing experience of joining your team and your crews in the last 24 hours. Well, you know, part of what I did when I came down here was because when I found out about what you guys are doing, it was, it was clear to me that what you were doing was not on my radar uh, and not on my listeners' radar, on my audience's radar. Uh, the fact that you can connect in Tijuana or even start your trip and have, and have connectivity to so many different places, not just to Mexico, but around the world. That's exactly it. I mean, when we created Volaris, I mean, we started with operations within Mexico. Uh, we started years, 10 years ago. 10 years ago. And uh, in 2010, we started our international flying. We fly for, to more than 22 cities in the U.S. Um, we fly to cities like uh, Arizona, in California, in Colorado, Florida, in Illinois, in Nevada, in uh, New York, in Oregon, in Texas, in Washington, in Puerto Rico. Okay, you can stop now. And um, <laughs> from, those, from those states or from those cities, you can fly either to Tijuana or to Guadalajara. Guadalajara and Tijuana are two airports that we connect uh, with more than 40 cities each into Mexico. And the thing is, uh, these are airports that were, up until recently, I would say, underserved. They were absolutely underserved. Um, and, and what I'm seeing, Enrique, it's not just your airline in those two airports. If you take a look at what some long-haul carriers are doing in the United States, they're also picking underserved airports. You know, um, uh, Hainan Airlines flying from China to Las Vegas, or Edelweiss Airlines flying from Zurich to Las Vegas, or even most recently... Emirates, which I think they found, they've basically run out of places to fly to. They're flying nonstop from Dubai to Fort Lauderdale, not just Miami. Exactly. And, and the concept here, especially for, for Boraris, has been to start operations in cities that were not served or were completely underserved, okay, to provide point-to-point -point operations to Mexico. Like Southwest. Like Southwest. It's exactly the same model. I mean, we were replicating the model of the 70s from Southwest in Mexico, and we're doing point-to-point -point connections. But then, I mean, you can even, for example, you can even fly a U.S. carrier to San Diego and then drive some to San Diego to the borderline. Park your car in California. Park your car on the California side. Step out of your car, climb a few stairs, and then there's a beautiful bridge that we just constructed between the two countries. And you... The bridge tunnel. is a little bit just longer than a football field. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. At the end of that tunnel, you end up in the Tijuana airport without, uh, uh, I mean, taking any risks, without moving around. And from there, you can fly to 40 cities, 40 amazing cities in Mexico where Volaris can take you directly. And the other thing is this, you know, when I, when I told my friends I was going to Tijuana, many of them said to me, oh, be careful or are you crazy? Because the city still has not the best image. And yet, uh, we've been down so many times in Tijuana, they've got world-class cuisine. I mean, seriously world-class cuisine. They now have a transportation system that works. And the thing about your operation, which was fascinating to me, it's one thing when Southwest Airlines started in 1972 doing, as you said, point-to-point -point service. But they were offering that point-to-point -point service to a, a lot of the audience that had already flown on an airplane. Your service was offered to an audience that was addicted to only travel by bus. Exactly. 
So let me tell you, I mean, back in 2006 when we created the airline, I mean, we found out that there were three or th four things that were strange in, in, the, in, the, in, in the stats that were being handled in aviation. The first thing is the, me the, the population was growing, but the, the, media, the, the middle class was growing at an amazing pace. And it is, it is estimated that by year two th 2030, uh, Mexico's middle class is going to be about 50% of it. So it's growing from 18% to 50% in 20 years, okay? What does that mean? I mean, there's a huge amount of people with a good capacity of purchase that can access to tickets. The second thing that we found is people were not flying. And, and there was a reason why they were not flying. I mean, Mexico has one of the best road infrastructure in, in, in the world. And a bus network, too. And they developed a bus network which transports 2.7 billion passengers per year. Okay, That is a uh, staggering number. It's a staggering number. It's the second largest bus market in the world. And as a result of that, people were not flying. Okay, So what we have done is develop an airline with such a low cost that can reduce base first to a level that competes with segments of buses of about five hours. And uh, as a result of that, the market, the aviation market grew up from year 2006 to the year 2016, from 22 million passengers to almost 40 million passengers. And 51% of that growth is attributed to Volaris and the bus switching strategy that we've been implementing. And you, you match the fares with the bus fares, essentially what you did. Essentially, yes. So you're a bus with wings. Exactly. We are, <laughs> we, what we in reality did is to put wings to a bus, but uh, we're doing it with first class aircraft. I mean, we're doing it with uh, a fleet which is four and a half years old, um, a fleet which is uh, the top class Airbus aircrafts from the A320 family. And on top of that, I think something really important to say for the U.S. citizens is we are an airline that has a certificate of operation which is both certified by the Mexican Authority and the FAA. Right. And you're, you're flying to how many cities in the U.S.? We are flying now to, to 24 cities in the U.S., Wow. And yet most Americans don't know it. You're a well-kept secret. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Speaking to the CEO of an airline you may not have heard of called Volaris, and uh, his name is Enrique Beltonena. And Enrique, when we last left off, I mean, you've done a remarkable growth movement here in the last 10 years. Right. Right. You started with two planes. You're now at 68. Right. Right. Average age of the fleet is less than four and a half years. Uh, you're flying to all these cities, including so many in the United States. It reminds me of another secret we talked about years ago uh, with Copa Airlines in, in Panama. 
that people didn't know that they existed. And yet, if I wanted to go anywhere in Latin or South America and I didn't mind changing planes in Panama City, in Panama, I could get there like that, right? Well, that's, now that now that model is yours as well. Exactly. That's the model we are using, okay? And um, we, we are on top of that. I think what we have done is with a point-to-point model, we have developed something which, I mean, keeps the cost very low. We are the lowest cost operator in the Americas, okay? How we do that, I mean, we do it through basically several things, okay? First, the fleet. You, we spoke about the fleet. I mean, when, when you analyze the P&L of a low-cost carrier, I mean, almost 78% of the costs are uh, the basically the aircraft, the aircraft and the aircraft-related expenses, fuel, maintenance, and obviously the labor cost. You have okay? to service the debt. Exactly. So what we do with the aircraft is we have, uh, first of all, we have higher density. I mean, it's like when you purchase a property to construct a, a hotel, okay? If you purchase a property, you want to have, and you're constructing a hotel, you want to have as many rooms as you can have, okay? So, 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 so you have more revenue for the piece of land that you acquire. This is exactly the same thing. I mean, you need to think in an aircraft, oh, uh, with the density of the aircraft, it has to have as many seats as you, as you can put on it so you have a, a good level of revenues out of that aircraft. That's the first thing. The second thing is how much you fly the aircraft, okay? Because the, the utilization. It's utilization, okay? So, so what we do is, is we do have more than 27% of our available seat miles that are flown at night, and that gives us a utilization which is about 13 hours a day, okay? And those 13 but hours... What's the, what's the industry average? Compared to the industry average, which is 8.5, 8.6 hours in, in, with the Airbus fleet uh, worldwide. Okay, so it's 40 percent, 45 percent more than that. And uh, in high season, we even go to 15 hours. Okay, so that's the second element. And the third element, I would say, which is really important, is that we do have a very young fleet that provides us the technology that reduces the costs that we need. So when you combine density, when you combine utilization with a new aircraft with efficient, productive systems to reduce your costs. And then on top of that, you, you have loafers that guarantee high loads in the aircraft. You have much more ways of reducing or distributing your costs along your whole stroke. Okay, stroke. but let me ask you a question, because I have to ask the devil's advocate question. Right. You have, you have high-density planes, right? You're maxed out, right? You can't get another seat in there if you tried, really. Really not. Really not. Well, I'm thinking about putting some U-Haul trailers in Stop back, it. but I can't do Stop that. Stop it. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. There's the Ryanair model. There's the easy jet model then there's your model and yet what's the longest elapsed time flight you have four hours four and a half um no we do have almost five hours i mean when you think about mexico because the topography of mexico is huge i mean you can basically fit mexico inside of the territory of the u.s i mean if you put the, the right corner of mexico in seattle the, 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 the left corner, Cancun, would be basically in the edge of Florida. So we do have a flight like from Tijuana to Cancun, which is five hours, which is equivalent to a New York, London or a New York, San Francisco flight. Yeah. So, okay, but that's the maximum. That's the max. So, you're not, you know, your seat may not recline that much. You may be in a completely full flight. You're, you're operating at a load factor now of what, 87%? 87%. So on the other end, I flew from Tijuana to Guadalajara here, and I think the average fare that people paid was like $80. It was like $80 for that flight. I yeah. mean, we do have an average, 
an average fare cost of $68 for a passenger. You mean I spent $12 more? You spent $12 more. <laughs> And I think that you you probably spent twelve hours more twelve dollars more because you didn't purchase ahead, and ah. that's the key. What we enforce and what we tell the people is that you need to purchase well ahead than when you are flying. And if you 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 get to purchase more ahead, you get even more cheaper fares. Okay, I got it. But the point is, the fare is still a good fare, even at eighty dollars. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Joining me now is the Secretary of Tourism of Jalisco, the state in which we're in, and which Guadalajara is in, Enrique Ramos Flores, but I'm just going to call him Enrique Ramos. Mr. Secretary, thank you. Or Enrique. Just well, okay, Enrique, you got it. Easier. <laughs> uh, most Americans, and I, I actually suffered this when we were doing our, our, our special program with, with your former president, uh, Felipe Calderon, most Americans, if I told them I was going to Mexico, they go, oh, be careful. Or, you know, there are drug wars and stuff like that. I'm liking, I'm, I'm hoping that maybe that's turned around a little bit in the American mentality because very few Americans are vacationing in Ciudad Juarez. Very few Americans are vacationing in uh, Nuevo Laredo. You're about as far removed from that as you can be. Yeah. Guadalajara, uh, well, first of all, it's, uh, it's known as the most Mexican city of Mexico. And uh, regarding uh, security, we have passed all the, the risk that in the last years that we had all, all over the country, not only the state of Jalisco, but now we have a peaceful state and uh, it's a, a very tranquil uh, destination, uh, not only Guadalajara, but but uh, Puerto Vallarta and the cities uh, in in the state, in the interior of the state. Exactly. And, you know, earlier in the show we were talking to the other Enrique, the uh, CEO of... Beltranena. Uh, uh, Bel Beltranena uh, of Volaris. That airline has truly made a difference not just to this state but to so many other states in Mexico because it connects them all. Yeah, let me tell you. Uh, Volaris has become the, the most important airline company for us. Uh, in the last uh, five years, it's now the, that he, they started uh, with the operations, serving uh, Guadalajara. Uh, it's uh, number one for, for us in the state. And we are now connected, thanks to this company, with the most important cities that produce the business for us in uh, tourism. Uh, Including? Including the United States. Yes, yes. In the, in You're the flying States. Guadalajara to JFK. You're flying Guadalajara LA, to LA. Uh, Chicago, and the, well, uh, it's, we're. It's become a hub. Yeah, right now is the hub in Guadalajara, and uh, they have now close to 40% of the total uh, flights, all the services that uh, arrive to Guadalajara. Of course, it's one thing to have the airlift. It's another thing to have the infrastructure. That's where you really have yeah. to get involved to make sure there are enough hotel rooms, yeah. there's enough services rather relatively to uh, whether it's taxis or buses or 
or bathrooms or restaurants, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, we have now uh, more than uh, 26,000 uh, hotel rooms. Uh, for the next two years, we are going to open 5,000 more. And uh, that shows that uh, Guadalajara is increasing the amount of uh, visitors. We have the richest, well-known Mexican cuisine. And, uh, and besides the tequila, the, the tequila was born in, uh, in Jalisco. So, or oh, I've spent some time there. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yes, in the town of Tequila. It's a beautiful town. It's one of our seven magical towns recognized by the federal uh, tourism government. Sure. And, uh, and Tequila has a lot to offer. So does uh, Chapala. Well, in Tequila, I spent my time with the knife and the piña. Uh huh. And uh, that's hard work. <laughs> I had to cut one down, and then, and, oh my! And then we put it in the oven. It's crazy. Oh yes. No, Tequila has a lot to offer. Actually, it's the first uh, intelligent town, uh, magical town of Mexico, and uh, it helps a lot in security, but also in services. It does. Um, and yet, one of the things that that people don't realize is you're not that far away. No, only 40 minutes drive from Guadalajara. It's tequila. Tequila, yes. So re repeat after me, designated driver. You want somebody <laughs> to drive you back. Oh, yes, you bet, because on the way back uh, after uh, a meal in tequila, you just uh, can't resist to have a, a fantastic uh, uh, meals with, uh, with tequila. So here's what I want you to do, everybody. Repeat after me in Spanish. ¿Dónde está el taxi? ¿Dónde está el taxi, por favor? Yes, you are right. You better, you better have a designed uh, uh, driver. What's the biggest misconception of Guadalajara from travelers? What's, what's, what don't they understand? Well, uh, we have uh, had in the, in the past uh, some uh, tourism said that uh, they, they used to have the Montezuma's Revenge, but let me tell you, in the, in the last uh, six years, we, have, we had uh, 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 work together with the restaurants, with the hotels, in order, in order to have a, a very uh, uh, secure... Uh, water system. Yes, water system. Along in my automobile, my baby beside me at the wheel, cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go. We've been talking a lot about an airline you probably don't know anything about. It's called Volaris. In fact, it's not only the fastest growing airline in Mexico, some would say it's actually the largest airline in Mexico. It's only 10 years old. They fly a fleet of 68 relatively brand new airplanes all over Mexico and all over the United States. I can't think of a major U.S. city that they don't fly to or from and a great way to connect throughout Mexico and Latin America once you get on the plane. They're a low fare, low frill airline. They actually let you check your bag. How about that? Uh, there are a lot of other things we can talk about, and joining me right now is the COO of Volaris, Jose Luis Suarez Duran, otherwise known as, I just call him Jose Luis. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm good. Good. So, you're the operations guy. I mean, 
you have to make sure that this thing actually works. You know, uh, when we were talking to your CEO earlier in the show, I mean, he started with two, pa- two planes, both borrowed, I think, then grew this thing into 68 airplanes. That's a huge challenge because part of any airline, and since you, you, you sort of base some of your, your operations on the Southwest Airlines model, is being able to turn these planes around quickly, right? Uh, you fly only one type of equipment, which makes it easier. Uh, I'm assuming you also cross-train a lot of your people. So but if, if once that plane gets in, you got to get people off and you got to get people on because if you don't do that, a plane sitting at the gate makes you no money. So how do you do that right now? Well, and, and, and before you even ask, I'd like to say that Mexico historically was never known for fast turnarounds. Am I right? That is very true. And that is because uh, we usually thought about Mexico as one airport, Mexico City. However, Bolaris operates on Mexico City, but also operates big operations in Tijuana, in Guadalajara, and in Cancun, Monterrey. So how do we do it? Well, we are based on a very efficient model where we have three main pillars for our operation. First of all, safety. We never compromise safety. We are a very safe airline, and we have all the certifications, and we maintain a very high level of uh, training to our, all of our staff. Second, we focus on a lot of customer service. We need to be think differently in the way that our customers are now buying, are now boarding, are now operating, and last but not least, uh, sustainable profitability. So how do we turn around an airplane very quickly? Teamwork. I can only say that the aircraft can only be done in team. Okay, but let me ask you this, because I, I, I heard a number earlier that astounded me. Uh, you have about 4,000 employees at the airline. Yes, sir. That means you have about 55 employees dedicated, if you will, for every plane you fly. Other airlines have how many? Oh, some of them double. Okay. So how do you do that then? Uh, Because they have the same challenge as you do. Again, it's all in the team. It's all in the people. It's all in the motivation that we give to all of our team. And they know that there's only one way that we're going to survive. There's only one way that we're going to strive in the market, and that is being efficient. We work as a team. We work very closely. We multiple. Uh, we do multiple tasks uh, along the team, and everybody helps out. We want to. We need it. This is where we uh, feed our families from. So we are very motivated to do that. And yet, you've grown to so many different routes, right? I guess the question is: Is there a route that you've always wanted that you couldn't get, or is there a route that you're going to get that nobody expects you to get because nobody else is flying there? Yes, there is a lot of routes that Volaris is the only single player. Uh, example, from Guadalajara, there's 19 domestic routes, 21 to the U.S., and two to Central America. Out of those, we are operating exclusive routes to Austin, for example, Denver, for Lauderdale, Guatemala, John F. Kennedy, um, Orlando, Portland, Reno, Seattle, and San Jose, Costa Rica. So, yeah, a lot of routes that we only operate ourselves. But, you know, in Tijuana's airport, for example, I was surprised to learn they got flights four times a week from Shanghai to Tijuana on, on Aeromexico using a Dreamliner, right? You are an international airline, right? But is long haul part of your game plan? Well, we are trying to focus a lot on visiting friends and relatives. We believe that that is a very uh, big market. And as Enrique mentioned a little while ago, uh, Mexico used to have a very big bus operation. We still do. And most of our customers come from the bus switching campaigns that we've done. 
this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. We've been speaking to uh, the chief operating officer of Volaris. I'll give you his full name only one more time. Jose Luis Suarez Duran. Did I do it right? You did. Okay, good. Thanks so much. I, I win nothing for that. But there are coveted routes, and then there are surprise routes, and then there are fifth freedom right flights. You know, um, I had to go from Sao Paulo to Buenos Aires not too long ago, and I flew Turkish Airlines. Who knew they fl- flew it? Well, who knows you fly certain routes, right? I mean, you go to Denver Airport, and not everybody knows Volaris flies there. You, in Austin, uh, I'll be flying with you guys. To I came in from Tijuana to, to Guadalajara, but I, I could also fly Tijuana to Oakland in California, right? Does that become a plan B for California flyers if they live in San Diego? Well, Peter, let me tell you a little bit of um, Volaris operations in California. We're the largest airline operating uh, from Mexico into California. Most of our destinations out of Guadalajara go directly into California. Out of the 21 destinations that we have flying into the U.S., most of them go to California. So we have. So you have Oakland, you have we, L.A. Yes. We also have Ontario. We also have. Um, now Ontario is an airport that's that's shrinking. They're they're an airport that. You could go bowling at that airport, but you're stuck it out. You're still there. Yes, and it's a great airport and great route for us. We also work uh, flying to San Francisco. We also flying to San Jose, California, and Fresno, which is also a great airport for us. Why is Fresno? Okay, you got to tell me that one. Fresno. Fresno. Fresno is a great place. Remember that we have a lot of influence in the agricultural industry between... Seasonality, too. Yes, sir. All of this area surrounding Guadalajara has a lot of experience in the agriculture. And Fresno needs that because the Central Valley produces some great, great crops. And we go there and help them. And people from... So, uh, the, so, so uh, many, let's say, the migrant farm workers used to take a bus. Now they're flying. Yes, sir. Because the price is about even. And the service is much better. And we take about 27 hours out of that trip. Uh, there's a good reason to fly. It is. What about on the east coast of the U.S.? I know you fly to JFK. We do fly to JFK. We're also uh, flying into Fort Lauderdale. And that's almost as uh, far as we go east. We do have a lot of flights to Chicago as well, but that's the Midwest, of course. I know. But Chicago, for most people, is a hub. For you, it's point to point. Yes. But no thoughts of going to Europe? No thoughts of going Asia, Africa, or further south into South America? I think we still have a lot of business here to do between... Uh, within Mexico, between Mexico and the United States, and also the expansion that we've done into Central America, which is also a very big operation, and uh, we are very happy and proud of that. Now, as a low-fare, no-frills airline, you don't have a frequent flyer program. You don't have uh, a first-class section. You don't have a premium economy section, really. It's, it's, you, you have, it's all, essentially all coach configured, right? There's no in-flight entertainment. You're not going to be watching a screen coming down, Right. So this is the one flight where you better bring a book. It is uh, a great way to bring a book and actually get away a little bit of the technology and talk to the person next to you. No onboard Wi-Fi? Uh, no onboard Wi-Fi yet. No. You know, for somebody like me, I take hostages when there's no Wi-Fi now. You know that. I mean, we've become accustomed to it, yeah. But that's not your market. It isn't. Uh, remember that we're in a bus switching market. We are trying to get people off the bus and into the plane. And... Hey, if you compare 40 hours a trip 
to four hours on a plane, well, that's I a would, lot of entertainment. Look, I would suspect that if you got somebody off a bus who's been taking those 35 to 40-hour bus trips, and now they're flying for two and a half hours between A and B, uh, they're not going back to the bus. They're not. Once they get on the plane, they're considered middle class. They will never go back. They've tried it, and hey, there's 36 hours at the destination that they can do for entertainment. Exactly. Now, your costs. I talked earlier with your CEO about that. Uh, okay, 55 people per plane versus, in some airlines, 100 and some odd people per plane. But everything that you do, that I've looked at your stats, is lower than everybody else in terms of your actual costs. Is there one of your costs that you can't control that is higher than everybody else's? Well, Peter, um, we like to think ourselves as a very different airline. We like to invest a lot in technology. We like to give the best customer service through technology. And that is one of the things that we don't uh, cut down on. We believe that People now want to be independent. They want to use their mobiles. They want to use the web. They want to use all that technology toward paperless. So let me give you one uh, interesting fact as well. We are the only Mexican uh, airline that is certified by IATA as a fast travel airline. That means that you can print not only your boarding pass at home, but you can also print your board. Uh, your bag tag. Your bag tag, yes, sir. You can also do a paperless boarding. You can also check all your itinerary and do everything from your cell phone. So those are one of the things that we don't cut. So your traditional check-in counter is fast evaporating. Yes, I think that nobody that I've met in the 20 years that I've been in the industry has ever taken a flight and said, oh, I enjoyed so much checking in my bag. <laughs> so let's do it as fast as we can. Yeah. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now at radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? If truth be told, I've been coming to Guadalajara since the 1970s, and I always find it fascinating. Uh, at one point, I found it a little tough for me uh, when I was doing a story about the Universidad Autónoma de Guadalajara, and uh, that was a crazy experience for me, which I'll have to tell everybody off air on that one, but... What I've always noticed about Guadalajara, it's really a center for the arts. There's just so much stuff going on even then and now. It's a showcase for new artists, for new forms of art. And joining me now from the University of Guadalajara Museum of the Arts, Laura Ayala. How are you? Fine. How are you, Peter? I'm fine. So you heard my introduction. I mean, and that's what you guys do at the museum. You're showcasing yes. so many different things. And it's not just... Traditional art, it's, it's cutting-edge murals, too. Of course. It's uh, our main piece of art. We have two frescoes from Jose Clemente Orozco. He painted those frescoes from 1935 to 1937. And, uh, and that is the reason why we have a museum in that specific building. And murals have been, truly, I hate to use the pun, a, a, such a big part of the fabric of the art fabric here in Guadalajara for decades. Yes, yes. We have a very large tradition of uh, uh, artists and uh, production of good artists here in Guadalajara. And Orozco himself, he was born in the state of Jalisco. Which is where we are. Yes, exactly. Yeah. What makes the murals so important? The murals uh, uh, in Mexico, not just in Guadalajara, 
they represent a movement uh, after the revolution where painters and artists wanted to deliver message to some uh, people who by that time didn't know how to read and uh, the most effective way to deliver messages and to give uh, some uh, ideas and ideals was through paintings, through frescoes in public buildings. And that is the case. And here in Guadalajara, we have three examples. One is uh, the Museum of the Arts. And uh, the second one is uh, the Governor's Palace. And the third one is uh, Cabañas, Hospicio Cabañas, which is the larg largest intervention by Orozco. You know, it's interesting. You talk about this being a form of basic communication. Yes. Um, it was also for, used by the government, too, as a basic form of propaganda, wasn't it? Somehow propaganda, but uh, afterwards. It not, it not was for encouraging people, like, to fight, but... Uh, to get the government message across. Yes, but also the, because the, the artists were very in uh, total freedom to paint. Whatever. Whatever, yes. But they shared the same ideals. And uh, they, they were against uh, totalitarianism. And also they wanted to show the splendors of the culture and to uh, give an idea of nationalism of union and work together to build a new country with the different uh, approach, approach after the, all those uh, dicta dictatorship years. Sure. Uh -huh. And you know, it's interesting because when I think about the evolution of the, of the mural itself, is that any different than seeing buildings being tagged today by street artists? I think it's very different. Why? Yes. Because... Uh, they, they, they were allowed to, to, to do their art. And the, and the taggers are not? Yes. In, uh, some now they, they, they are in the mainstream. Oh, people but, like Banksy. You know, ah, yes, uh, yes. Come on. I mean, now he's selling, he's selling his, his uh, graffiti, if you will, for <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Yes, but it's not the common denominator, no? no I know. It's uh, just an example, but for the muralists, they were invited by the government and they adapt their representation to certain arch architecture and then they deliver their ideas through these paintings and they thought that, uh, and they were public buildings. That's uh, very in, uh, important because they were not private owned buildings. Right, they weren't damaged in any way. No, no, no. Right. They, those three buildings I mentioned are very, very uh, the landmarks in Guadalajara. Very important in uh, not just uh, the meaning of the building itself, but by its architecture and uh, the time where they were built. And people were encouraged to go look at them, too. Of course. Yes. yes. I mean, it was not only encouraged, in some cases it was expected. Yes, sure. We're speaking to Laura Ayala from the University of Guadalajara, the Museum of the Arts. Yes. Uh, is there an admission charge? Uh, we are a special type of museum. We don't charge. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.